some uh, tinkering going on with the inaugural address, but his aides are, are, have made really clear it's not like he's trying to ignore or paper over uh, either what happened at the Capitol two weeks ago or what we've been through uh, throughout four years of the Trump presidency. And the contrast on display tonight was so stark. I mean, those lights that are that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool, it, I look, it's like almost... Uh, extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It was a moment where the new president came to town and sort of convened the country in this moment of remembrance, uh, outstretching his arms. And contrast that with that video you just saw of a disgraced president on his way out at his lowest point uh, in his presidency at the very end here uh, by himself uh, fighting for uh, his political movement to live on and not even necessarily promising uh, that he's going to be leading that movement, uh, you noted in, in his remarks tonight. I, I just think that sort of isolated uh, to Florida, Dana. He looks small. He just looks like a small man. Uh, and that is exactly uh, the way that he has handled his uh, presidency since he lost. And he just has appeared smaller and smaller and less and less courageous. And it does take courage. It takes fortitude. It takes um, a, a sense of, uh, of self to be able to not do this, to be able to get into the motorcade with your successor, to take that ride, which we have seen and heard in so many history books. There are, there are conversations that happen that are snapshots, that are legacy moments, and that to, is not happening. They ride in, they used to ride in the same motorcade. Yeah. I mean, literally. And we could hear that, that Marine one flying just over our heads, not too far away at all, uh, but uh, should be landing Joint Base Andrews. Uh, it's what a difference four years makes. He had a very impressive, huge crowd at his inauguration. It's going to be a little pathetic, a tiny little crowd at Joint Base Andrews uh, where he's going to say goodbye. Uh, as we watch this break in tradition, another break in norms in this country. There he is, the 45th president of the United States and First Lady Melania Trump waving goodbye to the country. He leaves with the lowest approval ratings of any president after one term in the history of scientific polling. Melania Trump also leaving with the lowest approval rating of any first lady in the history of Poland, which is a remarkable thing. The plane, Air Force One, will, will fly them to Mar-a-Lago, and then the plane will fly back without them on it, and that will be the last time President Trump is always has been on Air Force One. And, and, is, and is keeping with the... Oh, there's here is, Biden. And here is President-elect Biden and soon-to-be first lady Jill Biden. 
leaving from Blair House across the street from the White House. They apparently were waiting for Donald Trump to wave goodbye because they actually were scheduled to leave a little earlier, about 20 minutes ago. But with the grace and class we have come to expect from them, they waited for Donald Trump to have his moment. They are going to go to mass right now. That's I right. Believe. Despite being snubbed, despite having to endure a, uh, a speech uh, from the man he beat uh, that uh, barely alluded to him and to the challenges that that he Joe Biden will face uh, that he obviously did the right thing in waiting and uh, this is going to be Joe Biden's day this is from here on out I mean it was it was really kind of theatrical that we saw Donald Trump go up on that on that stage uh, on that those stairs and exit as Joe Biden and Jill Biden entered the screen. And what we are about to see as Joe Biden. Zeke, why don't you kick us off? Again, first off, congratulations. And uh, one question about your role, you touched on this a little bit of a topic. Uh, when you were up there, do you see yourself, uh, your primary role is promoting the interests of the president? Or are you there to provide us the unvarnished truth so that we can share that with the American people? The battle for truth may be as tough a fight right now as is the battle against coronavirus. How do you and President Biden plan to combat disinformation that in many ways led to that assault we witnessed two weeks ago today on the Capitol? Talk a little bit just about the kind of the preparations for getting the, the White House ready uh, and safe for the the, pres the new president. It's been reported that you did $500,000 worth of, of deep cleaning. Could you talk about the measures that you took to ensure that uh, the president is safe? And then could you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? He's been waiting for this for so long. What was his reaction? We know the FBI is leading the investigation into the assault on the Capitol. Does President Biden have confidence in FBI Director Ray? Uh, how does President uh, Biden plan to recover the United States' image um, around the world? And what is his priority globally? And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the, what the hell, it's the 23rd of January, year of our Lord, 2021. Decided to go and do one anyway. I couldn't. I tried to stay away from it, but it was kind of hard because the sycophancy, as you can see in the beginning, is just, he's giving us a hug with the lights and CNN's last shots at Trump. Gotta get him in. He's a pathetic human being. And the first press conferences of how awesome is it to have good, good people again. We're so happy. Makes you want to fucking puke. But it ends with the hypocrisy of everything we live in our time. And by the way, I'm going to fire the guy who did that intro. Um, it's me. Because the primer was flipped. But you get the point. Did you see the Betsy Ross flags? I did. 
I thought Betsy Ross, the National Anthem, American flag, are all communistic, racist, Nazi shit. But we were whipping out Betsy. Nike should pull their shoes back because Betsy Ross is good now. And then the thing that I want to start the show with, the National Guard. That was a video that Jen, Big Sis in Colorado, found for me of them turning their backs on him. The motorcade. And there's a reason why. Because those last pictures you saw, they threw him in a parking garage. Like trash. Politico, surprisingly, we feel incredibly betrayed. Thousands of guardsmen forced to vacate capital. Uh, thousands of guardsmen were allowed were allowed back in the Capitol Thursday night, hours after the U.S. Capitol Police officials ordered them to vacate the facilities. Just some policemen. They just made up the rules. You see how they cover for Dems? Uh, one unit, which had been t- resting in Dirksen's Senate office building, was abruptly told to vacate the facility on Thursday. According to one guardsman, the group was forced to rest in a nearby parking garage without internet reception, which is one electrical outlet, one bathroom with two stalls for 5,000 troops. Temperature in Washington were in the 40s by nightfall. Yesterday, dozens of senators and congressmen walked down our line taking photos, shaking our hands, and thanking us for our service. Within 24 hours, they had no further use for us and banished us to the corner of a parking garage. Politico obtained photos showing the Guard members packed in the parking garage, sleeping on the ground. Schumer said, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Your humble host, I said, you built this. You built this. This is how you treat soldiers all the time. I mean, let's just remember that during the summer, if you brought out the National Guard, you were a white supremacist, un-American Nazi piece of shit. American citizens, bring in the military. Tom Cotton did an op-ed. The New York Times staff revolted. They removed the op-ed and they took it offline because this, the, the mere mention that we bring out the National Guard to quell an uprising was un-American. And do we remember the whole shtick of Trump was flying, but he didn't land because it was weather. But they said he called those people at Normandy losers because they died. He doesn't respect the troops. And now you found out. Hundreds of National Guard members who poured into Washington after January 6th assault in the U.S. Capitol have tested positive for COVID-19 because they packed them in like sardines. New packed us together like sardines. Hundreds of National Guard in Washington, D.C. have been tested positive. That's how a real news agency did it. It's not how Politico did it because, you know, we don't want to blame the Democrats. Same team. Same team. Others. Guard members packed together and sleeping on the ground in the garage. One unit was forced to rest in the garage with only one bathroom for 5,000 people. You know how fucking gross that would be? No, granted. You know, when I landed in Kandahar under mortar fire and shit. Actual, not Hillary Clinton shit. They made us actually run for the plane because of snipers and mortars. 
We didn't have facilities. We dug a trench. But, uh, you know, that's totally different. This is in a fucking city that you made them go to, even though... Let me get to it. Which one is it? Um, no, that's not it. No, where is that? Acting Defense Secretary says no intelligent intelligence indicating insider threat to inaugural, nor was there anything saying there was going to be an attack. There was nothing. And as they try to take away your 2A rights and your right to have body armor, Democrat members of Congress wear body armor to inaugural. Why are they so scared of American citizens? Why? I mean, they're talking about keeping him there till fucking March. March! So how about Jake Tapper? Whoever in D.C. is in charge of the National Guard sleeping in a Senate parking lot mess, please get in touch with me. Folks with connections to empty hotel rooms are also contacting me. Jake, have you forgotten that your champion is now in the White House? If President Trump were still in office, you'd surely be blaming him. I did reach out to many Biden officials privately to bring this to their attention. And of course, anything that happened on their watch, they own. My tweet was aimed at whoever was immediately in charge so as to solve the problem. Because I care about troops, even though you can't trust all of them, especially the white ones. You just said last week. Thanks, Jake. Privately. You reached out privately, not publicly? Weird, you reached out to them privately, not on Twitter or your show. Because you know this would have ran at nauseum with our media. They would have lost their shit over it. Just understand, you're going to have a lot of National Guard. Los Angeles County new controversial DA says the justice reform movement gains an ally in the White House. And it's everywhere. I could go on and just list just all these people that have been released and they all killed fuckers and it's all good because, hey, America, we only arrest white people now. I know that sounds racist, but that's their whole platform. Former intelligence official says U.S. should apply some of the lessons learned to fighting Al-Qaeda. And then AOC, which is the only liberal, surprisingly, and I cannot believe I'm complimenting that ditzy waitress, bartender, whatever the fuck she was, literally said it's overborn. And then you find out Washington, D.C. residents whose cell phones ping cell towers connected to Wi-Fi near the Capitol during the storming of the seat of government are getting visits from the FBI asking them for evidence from the scene. Looks like the FBI got sweeping court orders for cell tower logs and subscriber info for any phone near the Capitol during their insurrection. An agent told them investigators were tracking people whose cell phones connected to the Wi-Fi ping cell phone towers. Oop, sucks to be a seditionist, somebody said. The same social media platforms that helped spread the lies and conspiracy that led to the attack on the U.S. Capitol are now providing the government with the evidence they need to find the convict the Trump fanatics who took part in the attack. 
Of course, so many people are not Trump fanatics. The only people actually doing anything are conservatives. Was Antifa responsible for the Capitol riot? Some commentators, elected officials, suggest that Antifa was responsible. Only one person charged the D.C. federal court so far as connected to the riot has apparent Antifa ties. Six reporter from Daily Call and Daily News said that's not what they saw on the ground. And it was the same thing I talked about that was on Laura Logan. Antifa kicked it off, ran away. The left knows that. And stupid idiots that followed him went along. And they're the ones being charged. If you've never watched the Laura Logan on Antifa, you really need to watch it because you think I'm a moon bat making shit up here, especially you never Trumpers. They incite riots and melt in the crowd. It's an insurgency that is amazingly effective. She showed just one scene of torching a car, and it was amazing how they got other people to do it. They poured the they poured the flu, the fuel, excuse me. But they got somebody else to do it. Red states use new footage of feds shooting tear gas at Portland protesters. Before we do this, not one media source covered inauguration day. And this is Portland, Seattle, and Denver. Break the window, get down. 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 Break the window
Sasha Baron Cohen chased the role of Abby Hoffman in the trial of the Chicago 7 for 13 years. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. I just found him this incredibly funny, charismatic character who underneath it all was amazingly courageous and was ready to give his life to fight injustice. So I needed to play him. <laughs> Are they about to conquer Spain? Hoffman was one of the real-life Chicago 7, political activists who were put on trial for their anti-Vietnam War demonstrations at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. In many ways, he's very similar to you. I mean, that's a great compliment. The, the beauty of what he does, because I actually think he's brilliant on how he, what he puts on the screen, is that on one level you are saying, wow, this is amazing, and on the other you're cringing. You're squirming. You're yeah. cringing, yeah. and then the yeah. next minute you're doubled over in laughter. Yeah. I mean, you're on a but, roller coaster but always, all the time. But he's always making a point. Yes. He got a lot of attention when he spoke out about social media back oh, yeah. in 2019, where people thought, yeah. let me take a look at this. Yeah. He, he made some really very powerful And points. I mentioned he went after that, that Abby Hoffman part. He, yeah. Way back in 2007, he actually what called Steven Spielberg on the phone and said, I want this part. And he said, well, it's got a very distinct accent you don't have. And he said, I'll give you two weeks to learn it. And wow. his criticism. And, and what happened? It, he... Well, it waited 13 years for them to actually make the film. He interrupted Borat, the filming of it, to go do the Chicago 7 movie. That's, he wanted that's so badly. Yeah. His criticism of social media may be his more lasting legacy, yes. however, and it has not ended with that speech. That's uh, right. On Election Day, yes. with Donald Trump leaving uh, the Oval Office, he had a picture of, of Donald Trump and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and he said, one down, one to go. He really thinks that social media has become, as he put it, a sewer of bigotry, mm -hmm. and they need to take responsibility for what's on their platform. Yep. We're beginning to see that. I was going to say, that could I be think his Facebook legacy. is certainly moving in that direction. Yeah. I added a great CBS uh, soundbite there, because that's just, that's perfect. Yeah, they're heroes. They're always heroes when they fight for the left. I mean, if you don't believe that, you're an American. But anybody else who burns shit, you're just a horrible human being. You're a piece of shit. When we should be saying they're all pieces of shit. So back to red states. Use new footage of feds shooting tear gas at Portland protesters and brutal dig at Biden and media. Mike Baker, the feds have come out and unloaded tear gas and pepper balls in the crowd. 
Here's a very video of feds emerging and shooting tear gas and riot control munitions dispersed Portland crowd. Stephen Miller, in my lifetime, I never thought I would see shock troops deployed by a sitting president and engaging in chemical warfare against fellow citizens. Joe Biden's America is not who we are. <laughs> Other people, I'm literally shaking. And they're all being facetious. Because just three months ago, remember? People were just, oh my God, Trump's trying to take back the Portland Federal House. When the New York Times, the gray lady, the only thing you can use in a political argument with never Trumpers and Democrats, does a whole article with a guy on the inside saying how fucking horrible it is. Like, it's all totally necessary. Because they're throwing batteries and blazing people's eyes. They didn't take the fucking article down. Because Twitter is really where you get your news now. You just don't know that. Poll. Fewer than half of Americans trust traditional media. 56% of America agree with the statement that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people. 58% think that most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or a political position than with informing the public. When Edelman repolled America after the election, the figures had deteriorated even further with 57% of Democrats trusting the media and only 18% of the Republicans. Think about that. And then go back to my intro. Those last digs at Trump on CNN. Tom Elliott brought it from us, or brought it for us. They had to do it. And then you start the fawning. The front page of the New York Times. Democracy has prevailed. Biden vows to mend the nation. Do we remember Trump's cover? Did we say that before? No. It was shocking. It was horrible. The world braces. One of my favorite tweet replies to this. Propaganda is finest. Spectacular propaganda. That's how we, we start. New York Times editor, they, the rumor is they got fired. Literally, the plane is landing. I have chills. That was a New York Times editor. And you wonder why it's so liberal. Um, you get it from Yashir Ali. Some news. Lauren Wolf, who, ran, who was an editor on contract for the New York Times, has had her contract canceled after she tweeted what's on the left. Biden landing at Joint Base Andrews. Now, I have chills. Wolf also tweeted what's on the right, but deleted when she learned Biden chose to take his own plane. The pettiness of the Trump admin not sending a military plane to bring him to D.C. is a tradition, is mortifying. Childish. They were all up in arms this week that Trump did not give him Air Force Two. Lauren Wolf was tasked with mostly editing stories that were on the New York Times live page and were constantly updated, led to the pandemic and breaking news events. Most of the criticism of her tweet came from conservatives. Conservatives, we believe in freedom of speech and no one should lose their job because of what they say. Also conservatives, fire her for saying what she, she has chills because the plane Biden is on is landing. The same New York Times that convicted the Central Park Five on the front page above the prefect. See, it's just the same old thing. It's all liberal. All they do is liberal. WAPO journalist proudly showed off his erotic fanfic. Joe and Bo used to watch an eagle soar by the dock. Now when Biden steps to a lectern, it will be greeted by a presidential seal. It features 
as its most prominent symbol of bald eagle, a reminder both of what he was accomplished and what he's lost. Are you serious with this? A lo- I love erotic fanfic. This is what he said. During his victory speech on November 7th, the night he was projected as a presidential winner, Biden said he'd been thinking about the hymn on Ingle Eagle's wings and the faith that sustains him. The hymn, he said, gave him solace, and he hoped it would give a suffering country solace too. What Biden did not say was that he had an ailing bow he used to sit on his dock and watch an eagle's soar past. The night his son died, Biden watched the eagle circle several times before flying away. Now when Biden steps to a lectern, he'll be greeted by a presidential seal that features at its most prominent symbol a bald eagle, a reminder about, about both what he's accomplished and what he's lost. The wise of life and destiny seen. Get the fuck out of here. Why don't you ever have these personal stories about conservatives? You never hear that shit. Edward Isaac Dover. He's a Atlantic journal. One of the simple enduring images of the day, Kamala Harris' hair blowing in the wind as she took the oath. No one with longer hair, in other words, a woman, has ever taken the oath of office outside the Capitol before because she's the first woman ever to do it. The ceiling. Crash, crash, crash. Get the fucks. Uh, comfortably smug journalism. That's journalism. Not a cult. Author likens a Biden presidency to safely sleeping in the car knowing dad's in charge. What? What the fucking fuck? Matt Dormick. This team truly understands optics. These images will inspire our friends and shake our froes. You mean your team? That's a CNN journalist. The fireworks. Fourth of July fireworks at the freaking um, racist Mount Rushmore with a patriotic display is militaristic and it's fucking authoritarian. It shows what the dictator that Trump is. Fireworks at an inaugural in Washington, D.C., We'll shake our foes. They'll be shaking. Oh, Biden's got fireworks. Same people. The same fucking people. Refinery 29. Dr. Biden is bringing American fashion back into the White House, starting with a subtle, sparkly coat. It's a whole long article. Fashion's back in the White House. The last first lady was a model, but she's a, she doesn't even speak English. She's a bitch. We'll find out in our hate section. She's just a fucking stupid foreigner bitch. China. Good riddance Donald Trump. And everybody said that says it all. You got Biden who's totally compromised with China. That's their official tweet. Day one cover featuring Biden on time. Him tearing up everything and going through and starting again. Why is it when a Democrat gets brought in that the redo democracy? But when a conservative comes in, he's destroying democracy. It's the same tired lines. We never stop getting it. 
And then, then the whole thing, let's just do CNN. Okay, this is, uh, Joe Biden honors prominent slaveholders as well as Americans' most anti-immigrant president in the Oval Office uh, redecoration. This is what President Biden sees for a sign of the Resolute Desk. He chose presidential portraits of FDR, Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, and Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. And he uh, literally fucking put Cesar Chavez. Who, by the way, if you watch Tucker this week, you'd find out that he was against illegal immigration. In fact, they were the first Patriot Guard. Yeah, they would go down the border and beat the fuck out of people that snuck in this agent or in this country. But we're never going to talk about that. We're just going to ignore it. Newsweek, Obama family places slaveholder Jefferson and Jackson as the name of Colorado Democrats' fundraising dinner. Same people. But when you watch CNN, you'll see Keller, Scuto, jizzing on himself. I mean, literally, jizzle. He's jizzling. And the rest, just a small take before we go into the Biden-gasm. We'll just do a small take. This is just CNN. Advanced themselves in life, something she's been committed to for decades. So they are rolling the stairs away from Air Force One. Donald Trump, Melania Trump, the Trump family about to leave, preparing to leave Washington, D.C. for the last time with Donald Trump being president of the United States. David Ignatius, uh, we are obviously having a turning of a page, the, the, the page right now in the Trump administration. Moving to the Biden administration, let me just bring up something that we really haven't had time to talk about over the past several months. Joe Biden, uh, through all this chaos, of course, there have been many things uh, that have been uh, detrimental uh, to a smooth start for the Biden administration. But one thing that Biden has had uh, is, is uh, uh, cover, uh, because uh, the media has been chasing one story after another about Donald Trump, as we have from the, from the start. Uh, and Joe Biden has not gotten the close look uh, that most pres- uh, president-elects have gotten. Uh, we certainly remember uh, Bill Clinton, for instance, started his administration in, in the rockiest of ways. Uh, this is something that Biden and his team are going to be noticing over the past uh, the, the coming weeks. They are suddenly going to feel the hot glare of those Klieg lights that are being turned from Donald Trump now and, and going to be focusing squarely on them. Joe, you're right. Biden was lucky in a sense with all the commotion going on around. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours, a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. As to say, the ending, for there will always be light, if only we are brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. 
something just aside from politics that leaves you with chills, particularly coming from the 22 year old. Let's go back now to the White House, to our Yamish Alcindor, who's going to be covering a different president starting this afternoon, starting now, Yamish. That's right. The White House is now in anticipation of President Biden and, and Vice President Harris coming here. Military officials have been rehearsing to try to escort them into the White House. Now, I want to think about Joe Biden's inaugural address. It was a foreshadowing of the way he wants to govern. He was leaning into both optimism while also having a much, um, a much bit of realism. He was talking about the, of course, the idea that he that Americans need to unify and that united we can get through the pandemic and get through our racial divisions. But he also said something that was really important, and that was he understands that some people think talking about unity looks foolish. And he said America has struggled. It's been in a constant struggle to live up to its ideals of treating every man and woman equally because of racism and nativism and because of hate and ugliness. He also said something that was really important in related to his predecessor, whose name he did not utter. He said that truth is truth and that people have lied for power and politics. But he said before God leaning into his religion and also before all of you leaning into the, the crowd of lawmakers, the bipartisan crowd there, that I will level with you. I will tell you the truth. I will tell you what is right. Um, that is a a big departure from the, the, his predecessor here, who, of course, has spread misinformation and disinformation and who at one point was trying to upend and block us from this peaceful transfer of power by saying without evidence that the election was stolen. So this was Joe Biden, yes, being the person that we all ex expected him to be um, emotional, um, leaning in on his own experiences. But he was also being very direct in saying, America, we can and should do better. Mr. President, can you unite the country? It's quite a moment, Jay, because this is this is something we did not know we would see today, given the security. I know this has been uh, asked of you uh, several times, but now that uh, there is a impeachment trial imminent, does President Biden have a uh, opinion on whether uh, former President Trump should be convicted. And then secondly, um, with how this is going, you're now getting a little bit of momentum on confirmations. Uh, you have all that you need to get going on coronavirus, on the economy, and so forth. Is this just going to slow everything down? And does it also take away from the ability to unify? On impeachment, did House Speaker Nancy Pelosi consult with President Biden before sending the article of impeachment over to the Senate? On the timing, uh, Leader McConnell has said that he's going to push for a February timeline. I know that you don't want to comment specifically on the timeline of this, but how would a February trial impact the effort to get COVID relief passed? Two other quick ones on the previous occupant. Um, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff is calling on President Biden not to extend the courtesy to President Trump of getting access to intelligence briefings. Has a decision been made on that? Clear up the confusion here about these, who exactly dismissed the chief White House usher? Well, it was happened. It the it, administration, or was it the previous occupant? Not to belabor this point, but you said that Congress can walk and chew gum at the same time, which is true. But there are also so many hours in the day. Has the president expressed any concern that a Senate trial will slow down additional confirmations or movement on a COVID relief bill? Does that have to do with the operations of the West Wing? Mm -hmm. Just a curiosity about the familiarity of the Trump administration, so I'll ask you. 
Who has Oval Office walk-in privileges in this White House? Do you have Oval Office walk-in privileges as you speak for the president? And how is that access to the president controlled? It is the most famous office on the planet where wars have been waged, disasters managed, its round walls witnessed to some of the most dramatic moments of American democracy. And every four or eight years, it is transformed as its occupant changes. The decor of the Oval Office symbols of an administration's vision for the country. And on President Biden's first full day in the White House, Let's take a look inside the Oval Office. To the left now of the Resolute Desk, Biden replaced the portrait of Andrew Jackson that President Trump had displayed. He replaced it with a picture of Benjamin Franklin, giving the boot to one of America's most controversial presidents in favor of one of the founding fathers who made huge contributions to science. No coincidence that he figures prominently along with a display of moon rocks as this White House promises to bring truth and science back to the White House. You know, now that I'm looking at the timer, I think I'm going to do two shows today. <laughs> I got more. I got more than I thought I did. But that I threw in some PBS in there. Truths back. The third press conference, which was all about Trump. The first one was about oh, you guys are so great. We love you. The morning show. We got chills. Chills. They say. That's that's great. Smooth Pasaki shows new tone and first Biden press briefing. Literally, there is an article from Deadspin that says it was newsless, which was a great thing. Because we had to work under Trump because we hate Trump and we hate conservatives. And so we actually do our fucking jobs. We don't want to do our jobs. Doing our jobs is bad. It's just fucking bad. Tale of two briefings, Jen Psaki treated much differently by press than Sean Spicer. And a lot of people might not like this, but my wife loves this show, and I started watching it with her, and it's on Newsmax, which means we're Nazis, we're white supremacists, we're proud boys, we're, quote, next name they're going to come up with of a vague group that really has no power and is doing nothing wrong, and is nothing like fucking Antifa. But they're more evil because they're white and they're conservative. So everything conservative is, is by SPLC's uh, measure, racist. Here is his take on his show, Spicer and Company. It's Friday Eve. Welcome to Spicer and Company. I'm Sean Spicer. And I'm Lindsay Keith. Well, Sean, it's day two of the Biden presidency, and the president released his national COVID strategy today. And over the next few days, as he works on his agenda, we will start to see Biden push to get his cabinet and ambassadors confirmed. You know, but at first glimpse, one thing that's evident already, Sean, is that this administration appears to have a different relationship with the press and the mainstream media than the previous one. Uh, a little later in the show, we'll share some of the examples of the gushing uh, that was on yeah. display during and after the Biden inauguration yesterday. Yeah, you remember, uh, if you were tuning in yesterday, when we signed off the show, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, was about to start her first meeting with her communications team. Oh, I got that wrong. Sorry. I, I, I meant the White House press corps. I get those two confused, especially after last night. Um, so let's take a look at a few of these tough questions that she got asked. 
Talk a little bit just about the kind of the preparations for getting the, the White House ready uh, and safe for the the, pres the new president. It's been reported that you did $500,000 worth of, of deep cleaning. Could you talk about the measures that you took to ensure that uh, the president is safe? And then could you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? He's been waiting for this for so long. What was his reaction? The president pledged today to repair alliances. Has he planned his first foreign trip yet? Well, we're only seven hours in here. You're ready for the foreign trip. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready, too. On a lighter note, uh, will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color scheme change? This is such a good question. I have not had the opportunity to dig into that today, um, given the number of executive actions, orders, the inauguration, a few things happening. Um, I will venture to get you an answer on that, and maybe we can talk about it in here tomorrow. Oh, I mean, I'm surprised she just didn't break down there. I mean, those were some tough questions. I mean, cleaning, that's a tough one. What color is Air Force One going to be? I mean, that's another doozy. I, I, she really came with her A-game yesterday in the press corps, man. They, they did not disappoint. They didn't disappoint, Sean. You know, I couldn't help but notice that your first briefing, uh, it looked a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> you think? Is it your intention to always tell the truth from that podium? And will you pledge never to knowingly say something that is not factual? And today, when he met with the business leaders, he had mentioned that the tax rate would drop to somewhere between 15 to 20 percent. Is he moving the goalpost there in any way? Do you believe that you have the mandate to be able to force through what you had talked about, replacing portions of Obamacare? So why is this executive order anything more than symbolic? And what, what concrete promises is he making? We haven't heard a lot about what that policy is going to look like. It's day one. Yeah, but you've had a lot of time to make those promises. I, I know, but... I, wow. Very similar. Quite, quite, quite the contrast. Yeah. Well, you know what, America? Get ready, because that's what you're going to see for the next four years. It's going to be a repeat of that. But in all fairness, there were a few legitimate questions that came up, including how President Biden was reaching out to foreign leaders and the Iran nuclear deal. I don't know that any of them would call tough questions, but they were real. I mean, she talked about COVID relief and there was a question about schools. But Jen wasn't asked about a bunch of things. And what she wasn't asked about was almost as important as what she was asked about. I mean, she wasn't asked a single question about immigration. The president is proposing 12 million people get citizenship, and no one in the press corps thought that was an issue. He didn't get asked about jobs that might be going away from the Keystone Pipeline. That's something that was in that executive action stack that she talked about. That didn't come up. She got asked about the president's Catholic faith and his position on abortion. She was asked about this thing called the Hyde Amendment and, uh, and the Mexico City policy. Both of those have to do with taxpayer dollars funding abortion. And instead of answering the question, this is what she said. I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. Uh, he started his day attending church with his family this morning, um, but I don't have anything more for you on that. So just to be clear, the question was, 
what's the president going to do? Because he's hinted at repealing the Mexico City policy and the Hyde Amendment, which prohibit U.S. tax dollar funds from going towards the payment of abortion. And instead, she says he's a devout Catholic. Now, if I were to read that, I would say, well, okay, so he's going to implement or he's going to maintain the policies. But that's clearly not what she's doing there. She's trying to basically say, oh, he's a devout Catholic, but I'm not going to answer your question. Why not actually talk about the policy? Because that's what they're trying to do, hide the ball here. The bottom line, though, is that the media's job is to ask tough questions, to make news, create headlines. And instead, these headlines are the ones that came out of her first briefing. This is what the New York Times, the paper of record, the gray lady, this is what it said. Miss Saki dodged questions she didn't want to answer and engaged on the ones that she did. The takeaway, a calm, boring press briefing necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. BuzzFeed had a very similar story out there talking about how it was newsless. Newsless, Lindsay, and they're celebrating it. I mean, this is their idea of like a good thing. Oh, guess what? It was really boring. We didn't have to do our job. There was no news. Their job is to make news, to ask the tough questions. Yeah, th th that's right. They should be asking the tough questions. That's what we expect from the press. They definitely ask you the tough questions. And we want the same treatment for both administrations, for any administration. And, and you know, this isn't about Jen yeah. Psaki and the job that she did or didn't do. Actually, I think that she did a pretty good job. This is about the yeah. American journalism that we saw on display last night that was not good journalism because they didn't push back some of these um, silly questions. How did he feel when he walked into the Oval Office? You know, I think you could probably figure that out. Right. Is he going to change the plain color? Uh, they should have pressed on tough questions like you mentioned, the Keystone Pipeline. Are we going to lose jobs from the border wall um, stopping? All these things that they failed right. to press on. Go ahead. Why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden family masked at all times on federal lands last night if he signed an executive order that mandates masks on federal lands at all times? At the inaugural at the memorial, yes. I, I think, Steve, he was celebrating uh, an evening uh, of a historic day in our country. And certainly he signed the mask mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know here, in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves, as, as we do every single day. But I don't know that I have more for you on it than that. But as uh, Joe Biden often talks about, uh, it is not just important the uh, example of power, but the power of our example. Was that a good example for people who are watching who might not pay attention uh, normally? Well, Steve, I think uh, the power of his example is also uh, the message he sends by sign signing 25 executive orders, including uh, almost half of them related to COVID. Uh, the requirements that we're all under every single day here to ensure we're sending that message to the public. Yesterday was a historic moment in our history. He was inaugurated as president of the United States. He was surrounded by his family. We take a number of precautions, but... I don't think I think we have big bigger issues to, to worry about at this moment in time. It's never like that for Dems. It is a big hug. It is the lights are hugging us. I don't know if I got it in the media gasm, which is what, how we're going to end this show today. But I do believe that a guy literally said that it's Papa Biden. Papa Biden. Papa. Papa Biden. Fucking pathetic. Martha McCallum, inaugural observation, the White House and U.S. Capitol are ringed in fences 
and 25K National Guard while the new president is about to halt the building reinforcement of the wall on our southern border. And we'll talk about his electoral or his executive orders, which is just, you know, now they're justified. It's America. He's got to rewrite and get America back on track. Mm-hmm. John Harwood from CNN. Trump, Biden, lies, truth, ignorance, knowledge, amorality, decency, cruelty, empathy, corruption, public service. I tweeted, journalism, advocate. Love and hate, MSNBC cites Psalms after COVID memorial, but blames GOP for division. Drew Holden rounds up the usual suspect because CNN actually had the balls to say this. So today was clearly a break from the past when it comes to the pandemic. The question, though, will it be enough of a break? Is it sufficient to the moment that we are facing? What about these new strains and the threat they pose? And will Republican lawmakers, some of whom pushed for bigger federal relief checks just a few weeks ago, now find ways to change their tune now that there's a Democratic president asking for it? Joining us, CNN medical analyst, ER doc, and former Baltimore Health Commissioner, Dr. Lena Wen. Also, CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and CNN chief political analyst, Gloria Borger. Sanjay, today, the first COVID briefing since November 19th, which is pretty incredible. In terms of the science behind the new administration's plans, what stands out? Well, you know, several things stood out. I mean, <clears throat> we first saw President uh, Biden uh, talking specifically about all the various specifics, uh, specific plans that would come about as a result of this sort of whole of government approach. You know, we, we heard this whole of government terminology used quite a bit by the last administration. But today, as I was listening to him, it really struck me. Uh, FEMA is going to really deal with uh, setting up 100 community vaccination centers in the next month. CDC is going to focus on getting pharmacies to start vaccinating. Uh, HHS is going to work on getting more people to actually be the vaccinators, actually pushing the syringes into people's arms. So really, you know, relying on, on uh, you know, all, all the capabilities of the government. And then Dr. Fauci is, is uh, at the press briefing. As you mentioned, we hadn't seen him in, in two months at one of these briefings. And he talks about the fact that here are the trends. Here's what we can expect over the next several weeks. Are the variants going to be res- responsive to the vaccines? If so, why? If so, if not, why not? Uh, it was it was very factual. It was very honest. It was very evidence based. So all of that stood out to me, Anderson. It was very, you know, frankly, very different than than what we'd heard for 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 quite some time now. Now understand, right now we're doing about nine hundred and eighteen thousand vaccinations a day in the country. Biden's goals: one million. Oh, the Huskies are pissed about something. Uh, just give it a second. Yeah, ignore them. They'll, they'll be quiet. So, one of the biggest things I noticed this week that is Biden sold, signed an executive order that you must wear a mask on federal grounds. And then, as you saw in those press conferences, when he didn't do it, they just excused it away. And at the first go, it was, oh, yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. He's with his family. Yeah. So, Katie Pavlik, this just isn't true. Newly sworn in president, this is from CNN, Joe Biden, his advisors inheriting no coronavirus vaccine distribution plan to speak of from the Trump admin. Sources tell CNN posing a significant challenge for the new White House. 
This is a lie. Drew Holden, Fed, Thread. Today we saw the birth and death of a coronavirus news cycle suggesting, contrary to common sense, that the Biden admin had to start from scratch on vaccine rollouts since the Trump admin had none. Curious who bought it. MJ Lee broke the story on CNN. We certainly are not starting from scratch, Dr. Fauci says on ABC. Only problem is Dr. Fauci shot it down. Of course, before the story was rejected outright by the most believable person involved in this, lots of CNN main voices jumped in. So, uh, State of the Union, Anna Cabrero, Jim Scudo, CNN Ross. But it wasn't just CNN. Other outlets and the reporters piled on too. Because you see, if people believe this, Biden's job gets way easier. Anything tied to vaccine is a success. It wouldn't be a chance for anti-Trump spin if Maddo and Maddo Blog weren't involved. Kyle Griffin from MSDNC was part of it. Daily Koss, Futurism, uh, Josh Marshall, Raw Story, Yahoo News, Reuters, Jeff Merkley, Hillary Clinton, David Plouffe, Paul Krugman, John Pavlovitz, uh, Pavlovitz, sorry, I can never say his fucking name. He fucking did it. Uh, let's see. Jeffrey Gutman, Audrey J. Wolf, Dr. Barbara Bowler, Amanda Marcotte, twice, Sarah Weinman, Grant Stern, and do I need to go on? It goes on for pages. Just pages. Sam Stein catches hell for saying it is a lie. And then you see what COVID really is. You know, I talked to an old man, he was a liberal. I went to the commissary yesterday to stock up because I don't know what these crazy fucks are going to do. And I'm pretty sure we're all going to get locked down again. So I go in there and we're talking and he goes, man, you're really stocking up on cans. I go, well, you don't know what's going to happen. It's all been kabuki theater since we got COVID. I mean, don't wear masks, wear masks, uh, don't stop travel. Then it's too late. You should have done it earlier to now, you know. Biden's not going to do it. He's going to extend it because now there's a new strain in England that's way worse. So that's going to, they're in lockdown. So that's going to change it. And we've had these lockdowns releases over and over in blue states, whereas we've been on a pretty even keel here. So what if he does executive order? Nobody can leave their fucking house. And he looked at me and you could tell he wanted to argue. And I was dressed like this. So, of course, off, you know, what the media is putting out right now, I'm a white supremacist Nazi. I stormed the Capitol because I got a beard. I mean, beards mean a lot, man. Beards say everything about somebody. He goes, you're right. Wow. That's fucking crazy. That's just fucking crazy. I didn't even think about it. And he starts stocking up. So even liberals, they don't even know what this guy's going to do. And you can tell he voted for him. Merrill Browser lifting indoor dining ban is just a miracle of timing and not at all evidence that COVID lockdown were political theater. But they were. And to show how great they are, 
Every video they put out, every live video on YouTube, comments are turned off for the Biden administration. The comments just don't happen. Now that the adults are back in charge, New York Times opinion piece wants you to imagine America. Imagine America is an emotional teenage girl. Well, there is no girl and boy. You just sign an executive order that we'll get into the next podcast or next segment. I'm going to split it up in two today. Next segment. There is no boy and girl. There is not one first goddamn woman as a vice president. Because there is no gender. You just signed an executive order. How can you guys let them get away with this shit? Already making excuses, WAPO is pulling out all the stops to lower expectation. Lincoln had the Civil War, Wilson had the pandemic, Roosevelt and the Depression, Kennedy had the height of the Cold War, Johnson had unprecedented civil and social strife, Biden has D, all of the above. Really? Andy Grewal, A, Civil War, B, Pandemic, C, Depression, D, all of the above, Cold War, Social Strife. Yeah, no. No, he doesn't. No, he fucking doesn't. He doesn't have it harder than anybody else. He has it easier. Because I wanted to take one last flashback. This fucking piece of shit's fired now. He's not really fired, but he's not going to be in the press room. Let's remember, I know I played the Spicer. But how could I not play in Acosta? Jim, we've seen your, your videos, and I've, I've been to these events, too. I've met with countless yep. Trump supporters. Even I was shocked at the level of vitriol that was aimed your way last night. Give us an idea yeah. of what it felt like to be in the middle of it. Well, Essie, I mean, honestly, it felt like we weren't in America anymore. Uh, I, I don't know how to put it uh, any more plainly than that. Uh, Americans should not be treating their fellow Americans in this way. Uh, but unfortunately, what we've seen, and this has been building for some time since the campaign, I've been, I've been talking about this as an issue since the campaign, when the president uh, during the campaign referred to us as the dishonest media, the disgusting news media, liar, scum, and thieves, and so on, and then he rolled that right into uh, the Oval Office and started calling us fake news and the enemy of the people. Uh, he is whipping these crowds up into a frenzy uh, to the point where they, they really want to come after us. And, we, you know, we have these these bike rack-like uh, barriers around the press cage, as we call it, mm-hmm. uh, to protect us, essentially, from people who might take things too far. My, my sense of it, Essie, is that, the, that these opinions that these folks have at these rallies, they're shaped by what they see in the primetime hours of Fox News and what they hear from some conservative news outlets that just sort of give them this uh, daily diet of what they consider to be terrible things that we do over here uh, at CNN. It's mm. very unfortunate, but it's, it's, it's a pitting of American against American. Yeah. And honestly, it needs to stop. Last night you tweeted, uh, I'm very worried that the hostility whipped up by, by Trump and some in the conservative media will result in somebody getting hurt. We should not yeah. treat our fellow Americans this way. The press is not the enemy. Um, you know, Trump's been bashing the media for a while now. What makes you think... It's at this sort of uh, pivot point now, this really dangerous pivot point. Well, you know, I think it's been dangerous for some time. I was worried during the campaign Mm. that a journalist was going to get hurt. And it it has been building. Uh, But when you refer to the members of the press as the enemy of the people, you're essentially putting targets on our backs. Mm -hmm. Just like Obama, this will be the easiest president. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what befalls the country. He will get a pass. 
Democrats always do. They don't report what they do. There's no deep dive on his executive orders. There's nobody even recognizing an excuse if I keep wiping my nose. I got a cold. It's not COVID. I don't have a fever, but I've been doing a lot of fishing and in the basement freezing my ass off. And I woke up with, or went to bed with the sniffles last night. But it does, they rewrite history. We don't know what they do. There is no deep dive on his executive orders. There's no, there's nobody even saying, hey, I thought executive orders were bad. We're not even talking about it. He will always have a handicap. He gets to go into the golf game with a nine handicap. A nine. Republicans don't get that. And when a Republican becomes president, you don't hear this. So as we close this half segment, we'll come into an intro on the second video, because I want to keep these under an hour and a half. I could make this soundbite so much longer. As is, um, how long is the Biden chasm? I think it's 15 minutes. This was just the prime cut. It's, yeah, 14 minutes. This is the prime cut. I didn't bring in the manager special. You're getting the good shit. This is disgusting. This is why there is no faith in our media. And as I say over and over and over, there is no freedom in this country of speech. We haven't had freedom of speech since Bush. That's when the media turned and every criticism was starting out as disrespect. Then it was disrespect in the office and racist under Obama. And now it's sedition. You got the FBI showing up in your house. You say the wrong things. As I said, my my mom's so scary. She's pretty much not doing social media. My wife's like me. She doesn't have her Hey Google on because they're listening. And if you think Google connected with Biden, you can say that's Big Brother. They're connected. They just helped them get elected. Sure, they're listening. They're going to listen to everything you say. They're going to peruse it. They're in charge. Why do you think there's... Why the fuck do you think there's going to stay at least 5,000 National Guard going to stay at your national capital for no threat? There was never a threat. Antifa spurned a riot. Idiots did it, and they're bad people, and they should go to jail. But it's a tool now to insert a government that hates you. And right off the bat, as we'll start the next one, will cripple you. Just cripple you financially and you don't even know it so we end on a binding gasm we come into the next one your intro will be a great PSA from the Babylon Bee and a Tucker segment well it's really small this time because there's a war on conservatives another thing in I thought in the inaugural address, the beginning had a little bit of soaring rhetoric, a teeny bit at the end. In the middle, it sounded almost like a homily to uh-huh. me, a breaking down of all this 
big language into very simple colloquial terms. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking to you. Mm -hmm. I'm in this vaunted position, but like a priest explaining something from the Bible or something, I'm breaking it down for you so we can all have a common language and a common understanding. Mm -hmm. That informality is also going to be one of the things that I think President Biden will attempt to bring to the presidency, which may or may not be boring, but it will certainly be a contrast. Vega, unity, the theme of the day, the theme of this inaugural ceremony, the theme of Joe Biden's presidential campaign, clearly going to be the early theme of his presidency. He said, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together. George, this was an inaugural speech aimed at uniting the country, but so much of this was speaking directly to Donald Trump supporters or those who may be doubting Joe Biden's legitimacy. He said, we won this. This is democracy. You are seeing it in action. It's not about a candidate. Democracy has prevailed. But he also used this moment to attempt to reclaim truth. We just saw an outgoing president who, by counts, issued more than 33, some odd thousand assaults on the truce, myths, truths. And this was about taking truth and reclaiming facts, George. Mark Updegrove, presidential historian. This was, we must not be enemies. We must not make friends of our enemies as John Carl was just talking about, echoes of Abe Lincoln right there. Echoes Lincoln uh, on the eve of civil war in 1861, the, the, the worst domestic crisis that we have ever faced as a nation. We, of course, faced one two weeks ago, George. But I think what, what President Biden said at the top of his speech most resonated with me, which is this is democracy's day. Democracy has prevailed, despite what we saw from President Trump, his, his uh, trying to sabotage this election, calling on on insurrectionists to, to seize the Capitol, to try to overturn the result, to, to try to overthrow our country. Democracy triumphed. This today was a triumph of democracy. And, and watching this moment, today's inauguration felt more like a church service, right? I mean, and, and we see there that like after a good sermon, the congregation doesn't want to go home, right? People are still hugging, shaking hands. And I thought from, from Joe Biden today, certainly he was commander in chief he was also Papa-in-Chief. He gave a speech to comfort the nation. He said, in part, to those who did not vote for me, if you still disagree, so be it. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. So it was a unifying speech. And George, if you think about it, it's a four and a half hour drive from Scranton, Pennsylvania, where Biden's from, to the White House in Washington. It took Joe Biden 78 years from the shy side of blue collar to become the most powerful person on earth. That remains only possible in America. Those lights that are, that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool, it, I look, it's like almost extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. Joe Biden today, certainly he was commander in chief, he was also papa in chief. Here is a man who gave Americans permission to feel good about who we are, and what we can become again. This was just such a breath of fresh air uh, that we desperately needed. He is the better angel president. Joe Biden believes he's, he's eternally optimistic. He's not cynical. There are few politicians in Washington, perhaps no politicians in Washington, who can lay claim to that kind of message like Joe Biden can. By his side, Kamala D. Harris, the first woman and person of color to become vice president. This is such an important moment, I have to tell you. You can only imagine little girls from sea to shining sea looking on as their parents say, 
you too can do that. A lot of black girls out there in the world today are smiling maybe for the first time in four years. Terrific speech. This was an address like no other. It felt cathartic, heartfelt. Modest, austere, brave, cleansing, calming. It ended with a feeling of hope springing eternal. Today's inauguration felt more like a church service. Like a priest explaining something from the Bible or something. I'm breaking it down for you so we can all have a common language and a common understanding. Like after a good sermon, the congregation doesn't want to go home, right? People are still hugging, shaking hands. He also used this moment to attempt to reclaim truth. Particularly for all of us as journalists, it was really resonant to hear the president say, you know, this is about defending the truth and defeating the lies. 71% of Americans right now believe that democracy itself is in peril. And I wonder how much that changes today. And the sun started shining during his ceremony wall. America and the world just heard the new American president declare democracy is precious, democracy is fragile, democracy has prevailed. 32 minutes ago, while Joe Biden spoke, the power of the presidency slipped from the grasp of a twice impeached private citizen in Florida. Joe Biden left no doubt he is here to serve all Americans. He gave the kind of inaugural address our presidents used to give, as hopeful as the man delivering it, yet an honest reflection of a great country at its modern day low point beset by two viruses, one a pandemic, the other a sickness that has flowed into our politics. I heard a declaration of war against white supremacy and against the lies that brought our democracy to the brink. Today, I feel like we've gone through almost a full character arc of the American story. I mean, we've gone from indecency to decency. You know, Joe Biden is a decent man. I mean, we've gone from what can only be called idolatry and false religion, um, almost Baalism under Trump, this worship of greed and, and this lust for conquest. There is an old America and there is a new America, and the new America and the old America essentially went to war in 2020, physically in this same capital, and new America won because new America got 80 million votes and old America got 72 million votes. And we're still basically at war and you have a new president now who wants to declare a peace it is really incredibly fascinating to me how history moves because we do have sort of another person trying to do what lincoln did trying it again and we're going to take a second shot at trying to end this civil war you know between an america that feels that some people are captors and some are captives um, and an america that you know, Grant believed in, you know, and that the radical Republicans believed in in Lincoln's time. Like, we have to try to do this again. Um, God bless Joe Biden. You know, this is a, man, a truly deeply religious man, obviously, a man with incredible compassion. And he's got a great partner in Kamala Harris, you know, who's a stepmom, you know, and a, a sort of accessible kind of human being that you can recognize. This is new America. And I hope that I hope new America wins the war. Joe Biden had to deliver the speech of his life. And he did. Uh, in my lifetime, I have never seen a more challenging inaugural address. Joe Biden's message had to be about unity. The reason they're allowed to mull about 
so comfortably today, even after that act, is because of Joe Biden's grace. The president-elect displayed such grace, and it should not go overlooked that that grace and his commitment to unity is what allows the Republicans, who should be ashamed of themselves and ashamed of their conduct on that day, it allows them to move about comfortably in their workplace today. Joe Biden's grace. What really struck me is that after four years of having a president who made everything about himself and everything about his own political future, that this speech that we heard from Joe Biden, it was not a campaign speech. It was not a politics first speech. It was an American speech. It was a patriotic speech. And it was aimed at not just all the people here, but people across the country who frankly have been hurting. On what we heard today and uh, what he's carved out for himself. We must end this uncivil war, and the way we can do it is if we show each other a little tolerance and humility. Martha, I thought it was a great speech. Um, I've been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961. John F. Kennedy asked not. I thought this was the best inaugural address I ever heard. Obviously, a lot of this event today, a lot of the president's speech, was was colored by the emotion of the fact that exactly two weeks ago, 14 days ago, there was a mob of thugs, of insurrectionists, of domestic terrorists on the inaugural stand. And Joe Biden was saying that democracy prevailed. We, was able to, we were able to get through that. And he was talking about how we need to get through that in the future if we are going to be a united country. He talked about white supremacy, domestic terrorism. He said we must church service. He is, as we keep pointing out, a religious man, a man of deep faith, only the second Catholic to be elected president of the United States. Uh, give us a little background on what what's unfolding right now. Well, Wolf, what we are seeing right now is President-elect Biden turning once again to his Catholic faith, which has really been a mainstay throughout his life. As you mentioned, he will be the second Catholic to become president, following in the footsteps of President John F. Kennedy, whose funeral mass was actually held in that very church that Biden is attending mass this morning. And you saw the president-elect inviting those congressional leaders, trying to send this message of unity as they are visiting that church this morning. Now, uh, in the past, for Biden's past inaugurations as vice president, he held a private mass with his family to uh, ring in that day. And over the course of the campaign, you saw Biden attending mass back in Delaware. Also, when he was out on the campaign trail, he would quietly find churches to slip into to attend ma mass while he was traveling the country. And you often saw Biden uh, turning to events at churches. He is very comfortable it being in a church, speaking in a church, as faith is really central to who he is. Now, one thing that will be very interesting to watch in the coming weeks is what Biden's church-going habits will be like here in Washington, D.C. Will he decide to attend one Catholic church regularly, or could he perhaps visit various Catholic churches around the city? But it's very clear that his Catholic faith has been central to his upbringing, to the way that he views the world and the way that he carries himself. And that is something that we expect to see continue into the White House with him. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Arlette. Uh, he's a regular. Uh... The thing that was, to me, so striking about today was that kind of comforting sense 
even with the masks, even with the distancing, even without the crowd, you know, those shots inside Statuary Hall that we're familiar with, you know, from every inauguration, the, the, the sight of uh, the Clintons and the Bushes and the Obamas, you know, the, the Avengers, you know, sort of the <laughs> Marvel superheroes back up there together all in one place. Well, with their friend Joe Biden, all of them, I think, feeling like that, that all of them sharing that same view that a lot of Americans had, which is that, you know, we did narrowly avert catastrophe in America and that they were all there to kind of, you know, kind of to buttress their buddy Joe Biden and see him in some ways as the as the natural and necessary corrective to what's been going on. And I think the things, you know, you said soaring a second ago about the speech. I agree. There was a lot about the speech. It was soaring. It may have been the best speech Joe Biden's ever given. It was certainly, I, I would argue, the most important in the sense that it was not a political speech at all. It was a speech that had a much higher purpose than that. And I don't want to go overboard and compare it to Lincoln's second inaugural, but aspirationally, that's where it wanted to live. But the thing about the speech that struck me most, and I think is most important. ...moment on this day as a nation to sort of pause and... Uh and hope for, for a bright future. You know, I want to turn back to the panel, Dana, Juan, uh, Chris Wallace. Uh, Juan, I, I noticed as uh, Vice President Harris was being sworn in, you kind of choked up a little bit. Uh, this is a big moment. Yeah, I don't like doing that, but I, I, it just came out. Uh, it's visceral, and I'll tell you why. Um, <clears throat> I have granddaughters. Uh, yeah, I'm the son of a mother, a black mother. I, you know, you think about American history, you think about the status of black women in this country for most of our history, and the idea that a black woman would assume such power in this moment as a national leader, uh, truly inspiring, and, you know, the role that black women played in this campaign, uh, tremendous. Let's listen to the benediction.